Welcome to Conversation Mill. Join me as I talk to individuals stepping out to pursue their passions, from small business owners to community leaders, and learn with me how we can work together to support our local communities and local economies. Visit conversationmill.com to learn more, but now please join us in conversation. What is better than a massage? Not much in my book. But what makes a massage truly great is when it begins to solve ongoing pain points. But for a massage to do that, you need a practitioner that is focused on making the experience client-specific, and that is what Johanna Davis, owner of True North Wellness, does. Joe uses her True North brand to provide individualized healing experiences for her clients, and it does not stop with massage. Joe is a certified yoga instructor and teaches throughout the Greenville area, but also provides individual yoga classes and Reiki healing. It is easy if you are a newcomer or even someone like myself who has taken yoga on and off for years to be overwhelmed by the language of yoga or the fast-paced poses or the Eastern spiritual teachings that some instructors can lean heavy on and be made to feel like you don't belong on that mat. But Joe reminds us over and over to keep it simple. I asked Joe to come and have a conversation with me because she is one of the few, if not the only, yoga teachers that has made me feel like I'm safe and I'm doing it right, even when I'm doing it wrong. Joe creates an environment in each of her different practices that observes and asks, what does the individual client need? She has the unique ability to create a yoga class that appeals to a wide array of individuals, yet makes it feel like it might have been tailored for you. If you are a yogi, or if you have never attempted a downward dog, I think you will appreciate this conversation with the owner of True North Wellness and learn a new perspective on massage and yoga that you have not heard before. Please join us in conversation. Your small business, Mm -hmm. your massage practice, your yoga is called True North Wellness. Yes. Why did you call your business True North Wellness? When I was going through the very long process of trying to choose a name, one of the things that I kept coming back to was if I pick a specific name that defines, I guess, a direction that somebody might not align with, mm-hmm. then it was hard for me because I guess in my practice, it's very client centered. So every massage looks different. Every yoga class looks different. Every, uh, one of the hardest questions for me when yoga studios ask me to teach is what's, what's your favorite kind of class to teach? And I can't answer that because I'm very accustomed to teaching to the students in the room. Mm-hmm. So when I was thinking about it, I was thinking, how do I say your healing will look how you will define it, not how I will define it in a succinct way without saying, this is the definition of my, my healing place. And if you don't align with this, then you don't belong here. Mm -hmm. You know? So I didn't want to give off that feeling. And I wanted people to realize that they are the bigger part of their healing journey than I am. And especially at least for the massage part, a lot of people I think come to a massage thinking I'm going to completely help 
fix, for lack of a better term, their body. And, uh, you know, 95% of what's going to help improve their body are choices they make. So when I was looking at names, I was just thinking that I needed to pick something that would be different for every person, but everyone would feel like, oh, I get what that means because they have a definition for them. Yeah. Uh, And then also in my yoga training, when I graduated, the instructors give you a Sanskrit name and the name they picked for me was Sarala, which means straight, direct, and to the point. What you see is what you get. And if you know me, that's for better or worse who I am. And so it kind of aligned with yeah. who I am as a person, too, that is just a direct center. What you see, what you get from me is going to be honest and true and straight to the point and help people on their journey, but honor that it's their journey. It's, it's not my journey. To me, that name sounds very homey and comfortable. So it just makes me, it made me feel comfortable the first time I identified that with being you. I mean, I'd been to your yoga classes (laughs) and I, you know, so then when I connected to you, I'm like, oh, that makes sense. Cause you do make people feel comfortable in your, in your classes. When I hear true North, plus I'm from the North. So I think that word just identifies home, safety, comfortable. Mm Mm-hmm. You mentioned your practice being client-centered. So when it comes to yoga and teaching yoga classes, how do you create a client-centered class with multiple people in the room? Specifically for yoga? Yes. Okay. It's kind of a process, but it's a process that happens naturally at this point. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of it, or how I was taught to teach a client-centered class is to watch each person kind of as they come in, not in a creepy way, but like you notice how they're moving, you notice how comfortable they are, you notice how comfortable they are on their mat when they first sit down, where they choose to go in the room. Um, So I just kind of try to notice that about people while they're coming in. I also try to talk to people while they're coming in and see their comfort level Mm -hmm. as they're speaking to me. But from there, generally within the first I mean, uh, the beginning of a yoga class is for me always the same. I was taught to start with a time in where we take a breath, allow ourselves to be in that present moment and nowhere else. Mm. And that takes a moment to honor that space that you're creating that separate space from your day. And no matter what, that's going to look the same for everybody unless they need to sit differently. And then from there, within the a few moments of the first few movements of class, I can kind of see what the breadth of experiences in the room. So I think that it's important. And one of the things that seems like a very silly thing, but is very helpful for people. If you say the name of the posture first, yeah, because then your more experienced people are going to go ahead. Your other people, if they don't know what it is, then they're going to listen to you for your cueing. Uh, another thing is just to set up a space where everybody feels comfortable to move as they want to. And so I try to repeat things like this is your practice, not my practice. If you want to come into a different posture, go ahead and come into it. Um, different things like that. Talking about that ability to look over the class and see people at different levels. And -hmm. then also look across the class and see people that are probably approaching the practice for different reasons, whether it's that is their spirituality is very Eastern religion. Maybe Mm -hmm. this is part of their spiritual practice. Other people who are 
doing it from just a pure fitness perspective, others who are maybe dragged there by someone else. (laughs) So you're looking out over the room over probably a very diverse group, I would assume, Mm, for a lot of classes. What have you experienced with, with seeing these different people come in for different reasons into your class and how, how does that shape the entire class? Cause it's kind of like diversity in a community where you have all these different people coming in and you have to work together. And in yoga, I've been in some rooms where I'm just like, man, this energy is so bad. And I don't mm. know if it's me. I don't know if it's, uh, you know, I'd like to be like, it's the people around me. It's someone in this room. <laughs> of course it's not me. <laughs> or is it me? You know, but like you have that, like you can have that really bad energy by one or two people brought into that space. So I'm just kind of curious to hear your thoughts on that diversity that comes into that yoga room every time you teach. So one of the most important lessons that I took away from yoga teacher training was that you have to deal with your own shit for lack of a better term. I don't know if I'm supposed to, um, you can swear yeah. um, <laughs> because you're going to be triggered and your own issues are going to be triggered by so many different people in the room. And it might not be about them. It might not be about you. And so as you learn to look at the room and see that, I guess I would say two things. One is there's an importance to creating space for people to experience whatever they're going to experience. And the more comfortable the instructor is with that space, the more comfortable the class will be. And it's not always a spoken thing. It can just be body language and how a certain scenario is handled in a class. Um, It can be a lot of times, I think, how the instructor notices and adjusts and doesn't apologize for their own body. And that you can cue a posture that, you can't do. And just that in itself is creating a space where someone else subconsciously is thinking, Oh, well she didn't do it. I don't have to do it. Yeah. Also not getting sucked into the, this isn't my practice. It's their practice. So not getting sucked into having to model the hardest posture, I guess. Yeah. So when you have a large diverse class, depending what they're coming for. If you a lot of times model the least uh, challenging posture, then people will be more comfortable with that. So also it's creating space, I think for all sorts of energy in the room that you're on your own mat and you don't need to focus on anybody on anybody else's. So I think a lot of it is just the teacher and I, I don't know exactly how I, I relate a lot back to the classroom because I was a school teacher mm-hmm. and the fact that I have students with every ability level, age, every age level, every um, socioeconomic, I guess, status. And we have to come together and work cohesively and yeah. respect each other. Yeah. And so the way that the instructor models and is okay with creating that space for everyone to be there and letting everyone have their own experience. At the beginning of your answer, you said like, as a teacher, you have to deal with your own shit <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> to handle yep. all those energies in the room. Can you elaborate on that? I think that for me, 
and I've had people say this to me when they say, I, I would, I love to practice yoga, but I don't want to teach because if I teach, then the pressure is on me to be perfect or to create this experience or, you know, whatever. So I think for me, I remember my very first yoga class, I came in and there was probably the most experienced person that I was going to teach. Sorry. The first yoga class I taught ever out, just done with training, probably the most experienced yoga practitioner that I had ever been around. And then somebody who had never taken a class ever in their life. And that was all just the two of them. (laughs) And I was thinking, how on earth am I going to make this a successful experience and a good experience for both of these people? Um, so that triggered a lot for me. Uh, and I really had to make peace with the fact that what I offer them, they're going to take away what they need to take away. And if they leave triggered, that's their shit, not mine. And they probably needed to be triggered that day or whatever in their own way on their own journey. So, um, I had to deal with a lot of feelings of inadequacy and insecurity before stepping in front of a class because I never was this highly athletic instructor who could cue, well, who could physically show and cue very difficult, high achieving, if we want to call it that, which is one of my biggest pet peeves, but (laughs) postures, you know, that kind of the glorified postures. Mm -hmm. So for me, I had to accept the fact that every person is there for a reason and they're going to take away what they need to take away. And I can offer what I have to offer. And that is all. And when, to make peace with that is difficult. <laughs> it's difficult to make peace with it for me as, uh, how would I describe my current yoga practice? <laughs> um, uh, casually, I'm, I'm casually found on the mat. Like, like if someone's like a social smoker or something, right. like I'm kind of like a social yogi. I, I do like to do it and I will like tie it into maybe my week's workout where I'll mm-hmm. like, do some warrior poses and some down dogs and some planks and tie it into part of my stretching and along Mm -hmm. with my workout or my runs for the week, but I'm not a member of a studio. So it's hard for me to be on my mat. And like you said, kind of deal with that shit. Why am I being triggered by the person next to me sending me over the edge? And so like, I get that what you're saying about everyone maybe be being triggered or dealing, going through their own process and their own mat mm-hmm. and, and showing up for a different reason. And I feel like when I show up, I show up for all the reasons, a little bit mm-hmm. of all the reasons, right? Physical, spiritual, learning how to not be triggered to the person on my right or left. <laughs> like, like, or to tri- be triggered and be okay with it. Yeah, yeah. And like learning, learning that patience and that, um, yeah, like working through that. Uh-huh. But what is your, why did you go into yoga? What did you want to get out of it when you made yoga such a large part of your life by becoming an instructor? So speaking of trying to control your mind, um, when I first found yoga, I guess, uh, I had just moved home from Boston. I lived in Boston for a stint and I had moved home to Pennsylvania. And in order to leave Boston, I needed to quit my job. So I was jobless. And then through a, uh, interesting turn of events, like a series of unfortunate events, I also was 
homeless for a bit. My car was totaled and my phone was destroyed. So I had very little in my life. Yeah. (laughs) So um, I kind of came home and was going through a difficult time. I had just gotten out of an abusive relationship and I found a power yoga DVD (laughs) and I would do that um, periodically in my living room. Yeah. um, Much like you kind of mentioned, just fitting it in whenever I could. And then uh, I was in therapy at the time and my therapist told me you need to do at least a half hour of exercise every day. That's your homework. Well, that power yoga DVD just happened to be 30 minutes. So I said, well, I can stay safely in my apartment. This is what I choose. So I chose that for a bit and then typical to my personality thought, oh, I should just go to, to be, become a teacher. There's why, why do anything in between? Surely I could go right from this VHS tape to, um, <laughs> instructing. So I just did a little Google search and there happened to be a school from Long Island that was creating a satellite school in Scranton, Pennsylvania. And so I decided to sign up for training. And it was really through the training. I always say yoga training, going through a yoga training is going to change your life in ways that you never expected and has nothing to do with the asanas or the postures on the mat, Um, which is why kind of what you were saying about, you know, being triggered by the people next to you or the teacher being feeling like she or he has to control the entire group of people. Uh, none of that's going to happen. And so yoga is really about calming or slightly stilling the mind mm. and not controlling it and just softening the edges. Mm-hmm. And so allowing it to be. And so I think that at that time in my life, I needed a place to soften the edges and allow my mind to be And through yoga training I realized how much yoga is part of my everyday life, whether or not I'm on the mat. And that's how it became so pervasive, Mm -hmm. I guess. How hard was that going (laughs) into that teacher training and getting into the middle of it? It was very hard for me um, because I was walking into a room of people who had these, you know, as we were talking about these well-developed, I guess we'll say for lack of a better term, physical yoga practices. And I was kind of walking in with my VHS tape, which I keep saying and dating myself. But um, So for me, it was very hard to walk into that room and think that I belonged there. But the yoga training that I went through, at least, was a lot of stripping away of those layers and bringing out the joy and the safety in your practice Mm -hmm. and in your mat rather than the pressure to perform or the need to check it off the list for the day. (laughs) I'm glad you brought that up. Can you kind of delineate between this physical yoga practice and this like spiritual side of the practice or this mindfulness side of the practice? Sure. So I think that (laughs) what we've done in America and, you know, I'm no major yoga leader, but just having been in it for some time, 
is we've kind of taken something and really complicated it. <laughs> that that sounds about right. <laughs> um, because, you know, people will say, I, I could never meditate. I can't sit still for that long or I could never, um, I'm not flexible, so I can't do yoga or, you know, whatever it is. And my yoga instructor used to always say, if you came to the mat and you breathed, you did yoga. <laughs> mm. And I loved that because a lot of it is getting there and giving yourself space. And the difference between the physical, I think it, it depends pe on people's spiritual beliefs, but I think it could actually be broken into three, right? Your physical, your mental, mindful breath, you know, and then your spiritual, depending on how much of that you bring into the practice for right. yourself. So the mindfulness section might just be slowing down enough to notice where in your body you feel your breath mm -hmm. and notice that you can then change your breath. And when you change your breath, you can change your emotion or at least allow space for the emotion that you're feeling and not allow it to completely control you. Mm -hmm. It can just be a part of who you are, not who you are. Uh, if we had three yoga blocks, if you could imagine them in your yeah. head, one of the things that we say when we teach yoga ed is you take out these yoga blocks and you kind of scatter three, three of them all around. And you say to your students, your younger students, you know, this is your body. This is your breath. And this is your mind. And mm. if you walked into a room like this, how would you, how do you think you're feeling? Uh, and yeah. so you, you can imagine the things that they stay. And then you take the body block and you stack it. And then on top of that, you know, put the breath. And then on top of that, the mind. And then you ask them now that these are aligned, body, mind, breath, or body, mind, spirit, you know, depending. Yeah. Uh, how, how do you think you feel? Whereas one works to help the other, because sometimes we need our body to get out of our heads <laughs> yes. and into our breath. Yes. But I think the key is not getting attached to any one of them mm -hmm. because it's, it's not attachment really. No, thank you for that picture language, um, with the, with the blocks. Cause that, that makes sense. And the emotion part of it is, and I think you and I have talked about this before, but there's that book body keeps the score. And that's mm -hmm. so true. Like we hold so much emotion in our body. And I know I've experienced being on my mat and doing a posture and being like, I'm not going to cry in this room of 30 people. <laughs> <laughs> Ruh -roh, yeah, like so what happened? <laughs> or, you know, or, oh my gosh, like I'm getting really angry. This like egg of angry just broke open in my body and it's working its way up to the top of my head, almost like letting mm -hmm. it break open, burn out, and then being like, okay, I'm back on my mat. I'm not angry about something I don't even know. Do you have any examples for yourself or stories of being on your mat and having that experience? Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> many, many, many classes. So uh, for me, there have been so many times, I don't know that I could recall a specific instance and paint that specific picture for you, but generally when I come to my mat and it, I have a physical release of emotion, 
whether anger or crying. Um, those seem to be the two. Yeah. Yeah. It is. Um, I'm never, it's never like joy. It's never. Well, I do have joy too, but I I guess we don't, we don't think about it. Right. We mark the sadness more than we mark the joy. Yeah. I think a lot in our world. No, you're right. Yeah. Um, And remembering to mark the joy just as much Mm -hmm. is hard. Yeah. So, but yes, I've definitely, uh, generally it's breaking down in Shavasana. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of times yoga instructors walk around and give like a little head massage or something like that. And multiple times it's been, as soon as that yoga instructor puts their hands on my shoulders, I just start sobbing. <laughs> so that's one. Yeah. Or, um, for a lot of anger or especially in the beginning of my yoga practice, I was, I had a lot of anger and I just would come to my mat to be angry. That was my place to be angry because mm. it was safe. So instead of thinking of it as, a negative thing as a positive thing. This is my place where I can come do 4,700 sun salutations <laughs> and, you know, plank push ups in between and really let it all out. Uh, but the hardest thing for me was seeing that the yoga practice you crave, uh, oftentimes you need the opposite. Mm. So I was coming to my mat angry and doing all this power yoga when really I probably needed softness and gentleness for myself. Yeah. Mind, body, spirit practices can be intimidating for high, strung, high stress people. I tend to be one of these people. (laughs) I'm just going to call myself out this whole podcast. I'm okay with it. And also for perfectionists, which our society is, is creating, especially like a lot of us have worked or are working in corporate settings Mm -hmm. where the more work you get done, the better you're looked at or the better it reflects on your record. I put in this many hours. Oh, I put in this many hours. So there's like this perfectionist workaholic thing in our society. And then we go and we do something like yoga or meditation and we want to be perfect at it. (laughs) And then when we find out we're not, it becomes stressful and then we become competitive about it. And so (laughs) can you identify with this? And then also how do you coach students like this through this? So first of all, all the yes. <laughs> I think that mostly growing up here in America, most of us can mm-hmm. relate. And I'm not saying other countries don't, but I can only speak to how I grew up. Yes. And so I think many, many, many of us have this, you know, the more things you check off your list, the more perfect you become, that's where you feel achievement, I guess, or success or whatever it might be. So, um, and definitely that's a lot of why I came to yoga teacher training or started yoga. And for a long time, that defined my practice. Mm. You know, if I could find the perfect alignment or the perfect cues or that sort of thing, then I would be the perfect teacher course. Right. But, uh, obviously being a massage therapist, alignment is important to me and safety and anatomy and all those things are very important to me, but also learning that, um, I think what I would tell myself, what I do tell myself and what I would tell anyone else, uh, is that we think there is perfect, but there isn't. Mm. And so I know that a lot of times I just feel like I, you know, I might, say one thing in a different way, but I just keep kind of saying the same thing. 
<laughs> but it's true yeah. in that I think a lot of times we need the repetition of these kinds of statements to bring them into our mind because there was a repetition of all the other, you know, the perfection, this is how you get ahead, this is how you, that was trained to us just as much on a repetitive scale, I guess, way more is what I'm saying than what, I, than what I'm trying to say. <laughs> that like these things were repeated to us so much mm-hmm. through television, parents, commercials, just physical, the things we looked at, the things we saw. And so I think I would continue to repeat to someone, and I do, There, we think there is a perfect, but there isn't. And when you're coming to your mat, you're coming and you can just start with one thing, mm-hmm. right? Oftentimes when I have people come to me and they're like, oh, I, you know, I, I really love a, a home practice. Okay. So let's pick one thing you can do. Mm-hmm. Just one. And when I say one, I mean, can you wake up every day and do one sun salutation? A, that is all. Yeah. That is all I want from you, <laughs> you know, and let's do that. Until it becomes part of your day that you love, that you can't live without. And and if one day you wake up and you're like, I can't even do one, then just sit down. Find a mindful spot. Take three breaths. Mm-hmm. That's it for today, right? Like, I think the last thing we need is one more thing to do. Mm. The last thing we need is one more thing to check off our list. The last thing we need is one more thing to become. So let this be a place of undoing. (laughs) A lot of times I will take a time in when I come to my mat myself and I will say to myself as I'm breathing, what is it with curiosity that you need today? Self, (laughs) you know? Yeah. And how can you provide that for yourself here? Do you need 20 minutes of angry sun citations (laughs) or do you need, you know, a restorative yoga posture where you're just sitting and breathing and it doesn't even need to be coming to your mat. You know, if I could teach someone a three part breath and say, Hey, right before you fall asleep at night, why don't you do this three part breath until you stop doing it? <laughs> Cause yeah. you fell asleep or whatever. Yeah. So I guess that's, that's what I would say. And then I would kind of like wrap it up with a little bow by saying, sit and pick an intention for yourself of what, what it is that you want this mindfulness practice to, to bring to your life. What's your intention. And in that way, I am blank. And then think of what would fill in that blank and not something that you have to achieve to become something you already believe that you can fill in that blank. But also you would just like a little more of that mm-hmm. in your world to soften the edges, to still the mind a little not to control it, you know, write it on a piece of paper and then put it away, (laughs) hide it in a closet, something, because otherwise what will we do? We'll obsess over it, right? It's, oh, I'm still not doing this. Shame on me as I see it taped on my bathroom mirror or whatever. Um, And energy follows thought, you know, linking back to energy that a lot of times we'll set a path for ourselves just by saying, I am grounded. Mm -hmm. I am present, Uh, whatever it is that works for that person, write it down, put it away, 
And a month later, when you find it, you might think, oh, you know what? Like without even thinking about it, I came to my mat and did sun salutations or whatever, any kind of posture. It doesn't have to be that. I just use that example, you know, five times this month. And I didn't even put it on my day planner. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so just that's generally how I work with clients and how I show up for myself. Yeah. Is don't create one more thing. Don't turn this into one more to do. Yeah. Let it be an energetic guiding of how you want your world to look. And my yoga teacher once said to me, I was, I had my panties all in a bunch because of something. I don't remember even what it was now, but <laughs> she said to me, Hey, uh, yoga comes into our life to support us, not to make it busier. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you can just let it support you and however that might look today. Yeah. And so that's kind of the feel. And, and, and again, it sounds like I'm, re- I'm repeating the same thing, but I am on purpose because the other messages are so repetitive in the world. So we need to start repeating these things. And how we do one thing is how we do everything. Mm. Right. Again, I think that sounds really silly, but if you think about it, how you get up in the morning, if you make your bed or you don't make your bed or whatever is, is the same thing you do with your laundry basket is the same thing you've done with your yoga props when you're done with them is the same thing you do with, you know, it's kind of how we look at everything. So if we can keep telling ourselves there is no perfect, what's the energy I want to bring and create in my world? It's so true. And I would maybe at a different point in my life, be more skeptical of that and go, okay, yeah, if I think it'll happen. This is way too simple. (laughs) Yeah, this is like the secret or something like, okay, like vision, you know, whatever. But I will say this, and this episode is not about me and my yoga practice. I'm just (laughs) referencing a lot because I don't mind using myself as an example, Mm -hmm. whether people see that good, bad, or otherwise. But I took... And, and I'm actually just connecting it as you're saying what you're saying. And I was like, oh, this is a real life example of what you're saying, which is I took your beginner's yoga yeah, beginner's mini, <laughs> mini intensive yeah. that we did every week, which it wasn't intensive. It was enjoyable. And I learned a lot. What I put on my card was I am present because that's something that I am. I am present. I'm here. I'm showing up. I am already this thing, but I want more of it in my life. And so that then kind of spiraled into a mantra for this year. And then when I kind of got to a point in my year of, I'm really stressed out. Um, I'm living away from my partner. This is just a lot. And I kind of had a breaking moment. What came to my thoughts through my tears of I'm so stressed, I'm I'm losing it a little bit was I am present. Like I need something more simple to be present. I need to shift more things in my life to be present. And being present makes my life simpler. And then I'm not standing here having a breakdown and I don't even know why. And so it was that tiny little practice of incorporating it into that class I took with you. And then when I would show up for yoga every time, that would be my intention, the same one, because I am am trying to kind of empty my mind. And all I can think is that mantra I created, yeah. I am present. So complicated. I can't yeah. think of anything else. <laughs> and I'm not going to waste my time thinking of anything else. But it did 
seep in more than I even knew because I did set that intention and I let my energy kind of flow to that. So even though it took from February when we did that to May for me to kind of like start having it really punched through my, my thoughts and really like that might be present really started to push through it. It did impact and change the direction I was going for the positive. I mean, I, I feel the best I have in a, a really long time. And I, and I would think other people around me hopefully see that too, but it is what you said is as you were talking, like, wow, that is the process that just happened to me over the last six to eight months. It's wonderful. By yeah. setting that one intention. <laughs> I love to hear that story. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, I think I said this earlier that we, by nature, I don't know if it's human nature. I don't know if it's here in this country, you know, I don't know, but we want to complicate things in order to make them more simple. Yeah. And you don't just, have to. You, right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's just more simple. Yeah. Um, more is always more, but right. like more is not better. <laughs> right. <laughs> that That's such a great pivot into your massage practice because your massage practice is both relaxing and therapeutic. And from what I've observed, you have ex- extensive knowledge of human anatomy and take the time to address specific muscles, really address the client specific needs of what they might be experiencing. Is this how you would describe your massage practice or how would you describe um, your massage practice? And I'm calling it out because it's very different from other massage practices I've experienced in the past. Right. So when I set up, when you know, linking back to True North and the, the reason I picked the name and wanting each client to come there and start to be able to divine, define a space and a knowledge and mm-hmm. awareness of what's, what's their true north, what is their healing, what are they looking to find. I guess the gap that I saw in my schooling and most places I've received massage and I've received wonderful massages, I'm not saying that in a negative way, but a gap that I saw was that the therapist was the focal point, meaning you go, you tell your therapist, these are my things. And then they're like, okay, here's how I can fix that. Mm. So, and that's how we're trained. And I get that. But instead, I guess I would say what defines my massage therapy practice is that I take a lot more time for the intake portion. The first time I meet with a client And I take that time, of course, to go over, sure, all the medical things. Obviously, it's part of your body. It affects everything that's happening on the table. I need to know things to keep you safe on the table. Right. But also, the more clients speak about their pain and the more they speak about what defines a, I guess, successful or what they would feel to be successful massage or how they want to feel after, what they want their massage to look like the more I can see and understand similar to the yoga class. What is this person looking to get out of this? And also Mm -hmm. what do they need from me? But it's about them, not me. So they don't come and experience my type of massage, right? Right. They come and experience, hopefully (laughs) the massage they need. Yeah. And so no one massage from one client to the other looks the same. And for a lot of my regular clients, 
it changes drastically day to day when they come for an appointment. Mm-hmm. So I have some clients that have come very regularly for physical issues. You know, they come to me, they lift their arm as high as they can, and they say, that's it. That's as far as it's going. And yeah. so we're working on that to physically just get that arm to, to release and be able to move. And then they might come in the next time and say, I need to just be on your table. Yeah. And I, I, I need a place to just heal and to be, and you just do whatever it is that you know to do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then, um, we work from there. So I think that that defines my practice because I want to take the client's goals, have an outcome and get to that outcome in the amount of time that, or money that they have, mm-hmm. because it is an exchange of energy. And in our culture, that's money. So, yeah, you know, that is happening there yeah. and that's different for everybody. Mm-hmm. So whether that's one time or six times or, mm-hmm. or whatever works for them. What is, if anything, in your opinion, your responsibility as a yoga instructor, as a massage therapist, within this larger community. Right now we're in Greenville, South Carolina, but wherever you may be, what's what's your responsibility? So I think my responsibility, well, one of, one of many, <laughs> is I keep using this term, but to creating space for people to heal mm. and create a space where people can show up how they are. Mm-hmm. And so I believe that that takes a certain level of comfort and calmness mm-hmm. with my own things, emotions, scars, trauma. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when there is a level of comfort with my own things, people feel free for their uh, difficulties or struggles or joys as we need to highlight those yeah. more yeah. to be shown. Mm. So I think that there is this place of not trying to portray a picture of perfection as a yoga instructor or a massage therapist to be able to say, I made a mistake or, you know, this, I I don't do this part very well. So I apologize Mm -hmm. to you. Thank you for your patience and tolerance while I'm also human. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really appreciate that. when you're trying to figure out right and left Yeah, because I'm always like, that Oh is- man, I'm supposed to remember right and left while clearing my mind. I can't do both. Yes. That is my nemesis. One of them in teaching classes is well, thank forgetting you, which side I'm on. Very safe. Um, so I think that's one thing. I think another thing is creating a space to bring people together. Mm. I specifically chose at some point to not teach at a studio when I moved to Greenville. I I looked into a couple, um, but I specifically chose not to because I think that there is a need for human connection sometimes outside of those preset norms where a lot of people say, oh, I moved here, I joined a yoga studio because that's what I do. I joined a yoga studio and that's where I fit. But there's a or whatever, insert mm-hmm. in yoga studio, anything else, CrossFit, whatever it is you do. Yeah. You know, people have their things, but there's a need for something mm. else, another p- place to get together and rub shoulders with people who aren't of your, you know, you might not be friends with in the wild. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So I do think that's some of, of my responsibility too. And then 
a lot of my massage practice, I feel my responsibility to the community is for people to know that they have, that there's hope for their mm-hmm. healing and it, it's not going to be a straight line that healing is often a journey and their physical, mental and emotional being is a part of it. So it mm-hmm. might not just be me rubbing out the knot in your shoulder. It could be you're hanging on to a lot of emotional tension in your shoulder <laughs> or whatever it is. So true. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think that is another responsibility. And then lastly, in this one, in the spirit of being human and real, I haven't figured out yet how to make yoga and massage because it is healing more uh, accessible for everybody because it's not, yeah, it's kind of a, it seems to be a middle Mm -hmm. (laughs) to higher uh, socioeconomic status thing. Uh And so how do we, knowing that it's still my business Mm -hmm. and you know, I I can't do everything for free, but how, how do I, make it more accessible, not even just monetarily, but approachable. Yes. Um, it's one of the reasons why I decided to teach yoga in a brewery. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and I know that's a silly example, but it's an affordable class and it's, it's a place where if you're terrified to walk into a studio, you might Mm -hmm. walk into a brewery. It's totally (laughs) approachable. And I, I don't drink beer, like just un flavored regular beer. I don't drink it. I don't like it. But well, one, there's other things for me to drink there, but Tetrad (laughs) brewery we're talking about in Greenville. Even non-alcoholic. Yeah. And non-alcoholic. So there is an option for me, but the, the setting is, it, it actually covers a lot of what you were just talking about, about your responsibilities to the community of rubbing shoulders with people you might not be friends with in the wild. Mm hmm. Um, and then, but also creating a comfortable space to sit afterwards and talk with people that you might not usually talk with. Cause yeah, a lot of people show up with friends, but there's been a couple of times where I've shown up solo and then had amazing conversations with people that Sharita, who was on this podcast with Yatra sisters was there one week and we ended up talking for two hours. Not only did I get the physical and sort of mindfulness practice that day for myself on my mat. But then I got this great intellectual conversation, created a friendship over one beer on a Saturday afternoon. So it it does, it creates that space to rub elbows with people that maybe you wouldn't deliberately seek out in your day-to-day life. Right. And I don't think as adults, we get a lot of chance to do that because we typically go to an event with people Mm. we know doing something we're comfortable doing. Yes. And so if we can take those events and make them a little more diverse or different. And someone else mentioned on this podcast about not being afraid of the other, like not being afraid to talk to a stranger or Mm -hmm. someone who's different than you. And that's very hard. And Mm -hmm. I'm an introvert. So I got one or two good conversations in me per day. <laughs> right. If, especially if I'm being present with you, because mm-hmm. it's going to take my energy to feel your energy and have a good conversation. Right. So for me, 
I have to work hard to step out of my comfort zone and talk to a stranger in line while I'm waiting for my beer after yoga. Right. That's going to be an energy drain. Right, right. But in a positive way. Yeah. A lot of people ask why I don't uh, offer massage on Saturdays. And, you know, one of the reasons is our family's schedule. But the other reason is, well, every other Saturday I teach yoga here. And I, tr- you know, it's a goal of mine that I don't just go teach, leave, mm-hmm. but that I try to stay and talk to different people afterwards and create a space of community where it's obvious that other people are staying and talking and, you know, it's not mm-hmm. kind of like, well, I have to go with somebody because otherwise yeah, there's no one to talk to. Or yeah. Whatever. So you're a world traveler. You and your husband are world travelers. How does that influence your work? So many ways. <laughs> um, so I guess long before I traveled, I made a commitment to myself when I was becoming a yoga instructor that I would not become the yoga instructor who thinks she's got the way mm-hmm. that the way I teach is best or, you know, that, right. that kind of thing. And so I made a commitment to myself to, and it was a suggestion from our yoga teacher training to go to as many different types of classes as possible. And I made a commitment to myself that I would always learn one thing from a a yoga instructor. I would always take one thing away. And so I think that that is what propelled me to, when I travel, expand it to, I'm not just here to see all the, to check off the tourist attractions, (laughs) but to actually talk to the people who live here and Mm -hmm. We've made a lot of friends when we've traveled. We've gone back multiple times to certain places. Mm-hmm. And I think that what I've been able to do or what I've enjoyed doing is letting traveling take, take me outside my comfort zone mm. and then learn something that I could tra- that I could apply. So taking a yoga class in a different language. <laughs> uh, yeah. I always try to take yoga classes wherever I go because if there's one thing that I've really learned that's brought me comfort is that we are so different but we're so alike Mm. right and it's not because of the yoga studio world per se because I've gone to a lot of different types of yoga studios when I've traveled but in the same way that they their customs are different than ours they're still so similar. They're just a different translation of them. Yeah. And so I think for me, it's reminded me how connected we are despite our differences Mm. and to honor that Mm -hmm. and to learn from it and continue reminding myself and others that just like I said before, when we get into this in our mind that everything has to be perfect and we have to control everything and we're trying to soften the edges and broaden our way of thinking mm-hmm. instead of control and constrict it, that traveling's the same. It's the same thing. Yeah. Not to oversimplify again, but as I've traveled, I've learned to soften my edges, to be more open to whatever is different in that world than the world I live in. Mm-hmm. And also, if there's any another thing that travel <laughs> has taught me... Um, that directly applies to, I think, yoga and massages. I've become much more comfortable being who I am and that that's okay, that that's different than 
other people. I was in a yoga class in Rotterdam. I just did not know what I signed up for. <laughs> I had injured my SI joint and I had, I was having all these hip issues and I signed up for this class and this yoga instructor was, I mean, I just props to her because she could, she sat on the floor the entire time and taught this very difficult, very wonderful class, all from verbal cues with never moving her own body and just talking to the class. And it was just this, it was just this moment, but I, at a certain point realized, oh, I cannot do this. I will end up in pain. Like I can only go so far. So being that I knew my own practice, I just kind of threw in my own things and did my own things. So she came up to me after class and she's like, I really got to hand it to you. I love how you just kind of were like, fuck you. I'm going to do whatever I want. <laughs> I was like, oh, well, that's not really how I meant it. <laughs> but okay. And she's like, no, I mean, like I'm saying it as props. Like, <laughs> like, thank you. She said yeah. to me for being so comfortable with what you had to do for you that you just did it. And I would say one thing and you'd be like, F that. I'm not doing that. <laughs> you do your own thing. And so I think traveling has also allowed me to kind of sink into the fact that, that this is who I am. Oh, yeah. And I can soften the edges and I can broaden my perspective and I can be kind and gentle with other people mm-hmm. and make them feel, well, they're in charge of their emotions, but hopefully create a space where they will choose to feel <laughs> accepted and loved. But I also, in that, it's not this at the sacrifice of me. Mm-hmm. And I can still stand in my vertical of who I am body, mind, spirit metaphor, like the beginning and say, okay, but this is also who I am. Yeah. And that there's a, there's a way that the world can meld that way that we don't have to give up necessarily who we are in order to make space and be soft. Yes. For others. Yeah. That's, that's where my, my thoughts were going as you were talking about this, because it, it's weird, right? Because it seems so in line with our culture, but it also seems counterculture because we're in this very me, me, individual culture, selfie culture, making our life look pretty on social media or, you know, mm-hmm. in the metaverse now yeah. and making it look like what it actually isn't and like covering up the parts that we're trying to heal, like mm-hmm. in the shadows. So people only see our shiny. <laughs> But what you're describing is aligned with the culture yet, like I said, also counterculture in I'm going to be me. So I'm still pursuing that individual (laughs) independent path, but in a way that is I'm healing myself unashamed in front of everybody. I'm doing what I want to do on my yoga mat because I'm focused on my yoga mat and I'm standing in my truth and my where I'm at. Mm-hmm. Which again, like I said, sounds well. Yeah, our culture's going that way, anyways. But it's actually kind of counterculture to what we see because we're only trying to be shiny. Yeah. yeah. Versus heal in front of people. Yeah, and I, I think that that that's the other part that I was laughing. I forgot that she had said after she said what I appreciated about this other yoga instructor had said to me. What I appreciated was that you could do that in the most unobtrusive, like least interrupting, I know that's not correct grammar, but way 
Yeah. That, cause you were so comfortable with it being different and stepping back into the parts of the class that you could do that you, you didn't make the whole class all about you by allowing you to be you. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of different ways to say it. Yeah. Um, so to wrap up our conversation today, I, I wanted to ask you if you could sit down and have a conversation with one person living or dead, who would that be? I'm happy that you're already smiling about it. <laughs> um, it's funny. I love this question. Um, and hate this question because I feel like a lot of people feel pressure to like choose someone. Well, I feel I should say, Oh, it's sometimes pressure to, f- to choose someone, you know, impressive or whatever. Um, uh-huh. but so I was, I've thought about it a lot. My husband and I like to play this, play the question game a lot when we're traveling. Yeah. Um, one of them, well, multiple variations, but one of them is you can ask three questions, but you both have to answer them. So you can ask anything in the world, nothing's off the table, but you have to answer the same question. Yes. Yourself. Anyway, so this is a question that comes up a lot. And my answers change, but by and large, the one person who keeps coming up is just my grandfather. <laughs> I love that Um, because I never got to meet him. He passed away when he was 40. And so my mom was 22, I believe. Um, And just there is a, I guess, a sense of, I guess, learning where you come from. And, you know, I got to meet all my other grandparents and have conversations with them and, not many, you know, they lived far away, but I didn't get to meet him. And he was such a strong force in my mom's world. Uh, and my mom talks about him a lot and things she learned about him or from him and how he shaped her world. And he was the rock of their family and, you know, mm. all these things. And then him passing what a hole that left. Yeah. For them. And so I just would really like to know what he was like. Um, yeah. And the world that he experienced. Are there any stories that you know about him really piqued your curiosity? Yeah, he seems like he was a force to be reckoned with. So he uh, was a lawyer, a a big time lawyer in a very small community. And so to give some uh, numbers or some idea of that, my mom, I think, had two or 300 people at her sweet 16 birthday party, you know? Wow. (laughs) So, you know, he was big in the community, well-known, all those things. And not that that, that's just interesting to me because that's not how I grew up. Right. And so there's this whole different world that my mom experienced and this whole different world that he, Mm. you know, and in that time, my grandmother, she didn't have a job, you know, she, she stayed at home. That's how things were. So, just that he kind of led this whole life for them. And then he went into world war two. And I think my guess is he died of lung cancer. I'm guessing that sure there was some exposure there for him to pass away so young. Um, so we had his flight records, um, because he was a pilot Mm. and, I just remember, uh, and there's this one picture of him standing on his plane and it 
says baby. He named the plane baby because that's what he used to call my grandmother. And mm. it's just, you know, kind of the... I love that. I yeah, <laughs> I love those stories. <laughs> Early American stories. Family that. histories are so important, especially now that we know the stressors and the traumas that our ancestors experienced are expressed in the genes and the DNA that's passed right. down to us. Yes. So it would be just neat to see his experiences, even just from flying planes in a war. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't know what that's like. Yeah. Um, but also down to, you know, what was my mom like when she was little? <laughs> mm. Or my aunt and uncle. Or... Well, thank you so much for coming and being on the podcast today. And I, I really love the way the conversation went because it was a lot of simplifying and kind of bringing things back to staying on your mat and just being present. And I think, like you said, we need that repetitiveness and we haven't had that yet on this podcast. So I appreciate you bringing that energy and creating space for me and our listeners to embrace simple. So thank you for bringing that today. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. And I have a little, I'm just going to do a little reading for you. Let whatever you do today be enough. Let go of the judgment you have about what you should be or what you could be doing. And today, allow yourself to simply be. Comparing yourself and your journey may be habitual, but it gets you nowhere. It makes you feel worse and it keeps you stuck. So stop fixating on where everyone else is and start giving yourself permission to be exactly where you are. Quiet the voice telling you to do more and be more. And trust that in this moment, who you are, where you are at, and what you are doing is enough. You will get to where you need to be in your own time. Until then, breathe. Breathe and be patient with yourself and your process. You are doing the best you can to cope and survive amid your struggles. And that's all you can ask of yourself. It's enough. You are enough. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you to Joe for joining us on Conversation Mill today. If you are interested in booking a massage, or seeing where Joe is teaching in the Greenville area, you can visit her website at truenorthgreenville.com or follow her on Instagram at truenorthgreenville. Thank you for being a listener of Conversation Mill. The podcast is growing, but we need your continued support in the form of comments, likes, and subscriptions. If you've enjoyed even one episode, Please take two minutes to comment under the episode or the podcast itself, or rate the podcast. Hitting the subscribe button wherever you listen to the podcast helps tremendously. Every like and subscribe helps me support local businesses and local nonprofits by giving them a platform to tell their stories. Together, we can foster the understanding, diversity, and economies that make our individual communities flourish while creating our own community here at Conversation Mill. Also, you can join us at conversationmill.substack.com, where you can become a member and receive weekly member-only content, including member-only episodes. I look forward to sharing a new conversation with you next week. And as always, thank you for your support.